Hi everyone, Gareth here. Just to let you know that if you'd like to support the production of the Music Room podcast, you can. Just head to musicroompodcast.uk slash support or click the link in the show notes. Okay, on with the show. Welcome to the Music Room. This time in the music room. I don't know if you remember a movie called Interview with a Vampire. It had Ellie uh, Goldenthal. It was a score by him. I heard that music, and before that, I thought, oh, maybe I could figure this out on my own. That was the score that made me go, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. Hello, and welcome to the music room, the show where I chat with composers, songwriters, and musicians about their formative years. We're getting stuck into the autumn, aren't we? Suddenly, a bit cooler in the evening. Change the duvet yet? Put the heating on yet? Autumn is a good time to get stuck into creative projects, isn't it? What are you involved with currently? You can let me know via the links in the show notes or come and join the Music Room community group on Facebook and tell us there. In this episode, you're going to hear from LA-based composer Jason Brandt, who recently had a movie released on Netflix, and we chatted about that as well as how he got started in music. He also left a very cool retro item and some brilliant advice. ABC, anyone? Listen on to find out more. But first, music stories. Music room guest Ian Arbor has added his magic to movie Bolan Shoes, starring Timothy Spall and Liam Best, as siblings who are obsessed with the late Mark Nolan and the music of T-Rex. The writer-director of Once 2007, Begin Again 2013, and the especially wonderful Sing Street 2016, John Carney is back with Flora and Son, a consistently enjoyable, music-infused, character-driven comedy set in his native Dublin. The movie's original songs were co-written by Carney and music room guest Gary Clark, with whom he also collaborated on Sing Street. You can watch that right now on Apple TV+. And that's Music Stories. Jason Brandt is a US-based composer who recently composed music for the film Camp Hideout, starring Christopher Lloyd and Corbin Blue for Roadside Attractions. Jason also scored the award-winning film Max Winslow and the House of Secrets, starring Chad Michael Murray, Freddy, starring Kelly Hu, and Christmas Wonderland. Other films include Night of the Living Dead 3D, starring Sid Haig, and documentary That Guy Dick Miller. Jason also creates original music for a wide range of national TV programming, including Cartoon Network's Teen Titans Go and Mike Tyson Mysteries. Ready to catch up with Jason? Here we go. Jason Brandt, welcome to the Music Room. Thank you for having me. You are very, very welcome. You're all the way over in Burbank, is that right? In California? That is correct. Burbank, California. And I, I see a lovely room behind you. Uh, many guitars. I can see at yes. least three there. You can see some fun oh, there. Oh, wow. Some synthy goodness as well. Oh, right. Synthy you goodness. Like, you like your guitars right. and analog hardware. It is clear <laughs> from first yes. glance at your studio. Yeah, it's a whole bunch wow. of stuff there. I think I got a camper and way too many Mac minis to go with everything. So <laughs> That's amazing. So what have you had going on today? Well, uh, today I'm getting to talk to you. I'm writing music for a couple of different shows. Uh, Teen Titans Go is one, and as well as uh, TMZ. Uh, and then I have a movie that I'm working on uh, that's coming up uh, to be announced. And uh, things are good. Fantastic. Uh, I want to ask you about Teen Titans Go uh, in a little bit. 
Um, but sure. you, you also have a new film out, Camp Hideout, don't you? That is correct. It comes out this Friday, September 15th. How did that come about? And can you tell us a bit about your working process for that? Certainly. Uh, I got on this film. We finished it about a year ago. It's taken a little while to get to this point, but uh, I got hired at the beginning of last year. And uh, it's an old friend of mine, a college friend named Sean Robert Olson. Uh, we went to the University of Arizona back in the day. And uh, we've been friends forever. Uh, he's a four-time Emmy award-winning editor. Uh, and he also does lots of directing. And uh, we've done uh, maybe about 10 feature films, a ton of short films, and a ton of TV shows together. But the last three films, uh, Freddy, uh, Max Winslow on the House of Secrets, and now this one, Camp Hideout, is probably my three favorite of them all. And uh, the process for this has been fun. Uh, it took a little while to get hired onto it because, you know, when you go from one uh, group of producers to the next to the next, uh, it's almost like starting a brand new business every time. So, you know, you're hiring new people, getting all the financing in place. And uh, But all the producers have been fantastic. I absolutely love them. Uh, the process started with uh, Sean first, you know, after he shot the movie, uh, he edited it and then he showed me a work print. And uh, we just discussed things, had a certain direction. Uh, there was a temp track that was a little more orchestral at the time. Uh, but then as time went on, we started to realize we wanted it to be a little more specific to what the film is. It's a camp movie, it's a kid's film. And it's got Christopher Lloyd in it. And we grew up with him because of Back to the Future and Adam's Family and a bunch of other movies. And so we thought it'd be more fun to just, you know, every time you go camping, you know, there's always someone with an acoustic guitar and there's some whistling and some singing and snapping and clapping and all that stuff. So all that's incorporated in there, plus an orchestra and plus all these other things, you know, when you get to the emotional scenes. So uh, the way I approached this specific one, uh, the main character's name is Noah. And he's a foster kid who is uh, running away from two bad guys. There are two guys that hire him to steal something. And then that heist goes wrong. And so now he's hiding in a camp away from them. And so he thinks he's cool. And he thinks he's a certain kind of guy. So a lot of funk music, kind of edgy uh, spy music from time to time. That's kind of the soundtrack in his head. That's kind of how I approach that. And then uh, you'll a lot of people have mentioned kind of like Home Alone vibes and stuff like that. So you'll notice that the two... Uh, two bad guys who are you know playful and fun in their own way. Uh, this is definitely a family film. The music kind of uh, follows their journey as well. And then when you meet Falco, which is the Christopher Lloyd character, I mean, he creates an amazing character. He's as legendary now as he was back then. And I got to write very cool themes for him. He's kind of, he starts off as the dark brooding guy. And uh, I just, each one of these characters has their own theme. The camp has a theme. Uh, as does, you know, these are all lyrical. They're more melodic, which is nice because, you know, as time has progressed, you know, it's not a lot of movies want to be more neutral and they want to have more ambient pulse or those kind of things or just let the drums push it forward. But in this case, it's vibrant. It's fun. I mean, I'm using at least three or four different guitars uh, for different themes and then different ideas. It's got a huge palette. So you're not bored. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. Yeah. And, uh, it, it just moved. It cooks. It's a good, fun film. And you'll recognize this kind of fun vibe. Absolutely. Uh, that, you know, you, we've seen many times. You mentioned Home Alone. That's what I got from the trailer, actually. Was uh, Yeah, I, I feel like they were going for that, uh, yeah. which is not a bad thing to do because that's a fun kids film and we're trying to reach parents as well. And Absolutely. You have something like Home Alone with Christopher Lloyd as well. What's yeah. not to like? <laughs> It's just yeah. looked like tremendous fun. It was. Well, best of luck with the release. And uh, thank you. I hope it all goes well.
So you mentioned before recording that you're a proud dad to a seven and a nine-year-old. Mm. And yes. uh, I was wondering about your variety of work from kids animation to horror. You know, it's a wide spectrum there. <laughs> right. Has having kids affected your decision-making in any way? It has. Uh, when I was starting out in Hollywood, I mean, you take anything you can get and you don't really think much about it. And uh, a good gateway into Hollywood is horror movies. You know, it, if you can get someone scared, you can, you know, or thrilled or you, you move them in some way. I mean, that's a great way to get started. As it progressed, by the time I had kids, I got married, had kids. I realized that I can show them almost nothing. Uh, that was really surprising to me. And I uh, decided to make an effort like I should probably do more things that they can see. Uh, in fact, uh, they've been in one or two of them as extras. And one of them was so upset that uh, they weren't in. And I was like, you weren't born yet. Like, don't be upset. So I'm still trying to get an opportunity for that child. So if anybody needs a seven and a half year old extra, uh, <laughs> then yeah. I can score. That'd be amazing. Absolutely. But it has changed a, a bit more because now this audience, you know, we all chase our childhood. You know, you and I could sit here and talk about movies that change us when we were kids, when we discovered it. And we're all kind of still kind of going back to that early magic, that little bit of fire that happens. And even when we get tired of, you know, all the crap that happens in Hollywood, you still go, well, what makes me tick? What, what made me want to do this in the beginning? And it's those early movies, those early things. And I want to be a part of that narrative for all kids, especially mine. And uh, one of the things I noticed in all those movies, they had melody and there was orchestra, there were live players. There was a little bit more of more fun. It, you know, it's kind of an exaggerated experience of what's going on in the narrative. Because if you were just to watch these things without music, you know, it would be flat. It wouldn't be as interesting. But when the music comes in, it's much more vibrant. It moves. And uh, I want my kids to see that. And a piece of my childhood will show up in everything I'm working on. And then hopefully they like it. And hopefully we can talk about it. But they've seen this movie. They laughed out loud. So and we'll see it again this weekend. I hope they're excited. So. Target audience, isn't it? It's uh, if, you, if you're satisfying yes. them, then that's just amazing. And yeah, and especially in the community of composers for TV and film, there is this touchstone of seeing movies when you're kids uh, yeah. and having that major inspiration to, to now do what you do. And, uh, you know, certainly with a lot of my guests, they hark back to, oh, it was the this movie that, that started everything right. or this movie or the, you know, um, John Williams or Morricone sure. or, you know, it could be anything. Yeah, those are all amazing composers. <laughs> So, as someone who's also scored uh, kind of zany animated comedy, I have to ask you about Teen Titans Go, which looks tremendous sure. fun. You said you are working on it at the moment. Yes, uh, I've been working on that show since 2013. Uh, it's wow. Funny, when I got started, uh, they had no expectations. They're like, we're just going to break even. We don't know. It's, you know, just do as much as you can. And uh, you started with like 52 episodes. And I won, I'm not the only composer on it. There are other composers. And uh, we get to contribute uh, in different ways because the show moves pretty fast. And uh, But, I mean, it turned out to be a real success. By the two or three years in, I remember going to, like, McDonald's or something, and they were selling Teen Titans Go toys. I was like, oh, we're doing fine. So the show is fun. I mean, uh, it has a lot of, again, that vibrancy. Uh, we do cartoons a little differently now because I grew up on Bugs Bunny and some of those where they're really, you know, hitting every point. And here, you know, it's a little bit of talking, then they go into a thing. So they kind of, they're moving it around a bit. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's something it's I noticed fun. that there was a, a a team of composers. But I wanted yes. what I wanted to ask you was, do they all work at the same time, or has it been a a bit of a relay race, or how does that all work? Yeah, it's kind of basically what we're doing is uh, for that show. Depending on the time and energy, they have to uh, you know they're editing these things, and sometimes they have a graphic that they can work on that where we can write music to that. But many times they have music that we've already pre you know used. And then there's uh, reusing that piece over and over again. That's not uncommon at all for that show. They have typically, uh, I mean, I want to say there was about 52 episodes in the first season or two. And so there a lot of music that we had written that's, you know, building into a library and they'll reuse it in other cases, just like, you know, the main title gets reused over and over and the end titles. And so uh, all of that just uh, is just a work in progress. And I, I'm not in all the meetings with other composers at all, so I'm not sure how they're all approaching it. But uh, wow. it's been fantastic fun on that. That's a quite a unique way of doing things. Um, mm-hmm. Not not experienced that myself. Okay, right. Well, shall we go back in time and find out how it yes. all began for Jason Brandt? Let's do it. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Hit me. So... Uh, here we are back in time, Jason. <laughs> here it is. It's a, that was seamless, wasn't it? It's just that was amazing. So what are your earliest musical memories? Uh, my earliest, for sure, would have to be... My, I had uh, some family members that played uh, piano and guitar. My mom uh, did play piano and guitar. Uh, my father was a minister in a Lutheran church. And my mom would... Uh, they would go to the nursing homes in different places and she would perform... And then she would perform a little bit at home. Uh, the big life change, of course, it's Star Wars. I mean, I was born in 73. That movie comes yeah. out in 77. And uh, my goodness, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, the other thing is I had an aunt that would take that soundtrack and play it in the car wherever we were driving. And it, that was, uh, it never occurred to me that, wow, this music, you know, film music doesn't always uh, sound good separated from the picture. And in this case, it did. I just saw it as music, and it's it retells the whole story. I mean, you have that beautiful fanfare, and then it goes into a different mood only about a minute and a half later, where it's very dark and it's filled with action. You can just hear the story beat by beat, you know, uh, cue by cue, scene by scene. And uh, I just remember you know, seeing the movie once or twice, but then hearing that soundtrack over and over again with those car rides. And I just thought, wow, that's amazing. And it just stuck with me for years. It never occurred to me that I want to do that. But that that was a big thing. I've had a number of instances in my life, which I'm sure you have too, where, you know, maybe when you got MTV as a kid and then you started seeing music videos, and you're like, oh, wow, they're doing it weird. Because now you're seeing live players in a way that you wouldn't normally see. Uh, now we have the internet, so it's no big deal. You can see, you know, uh, you know anybody perform, you know, uh, you know, a Russian symphony or American symphony or, you know, Leonard Bernstein, who's not alive. You can watch all that now. But back then you had to buy a VHS or something and then, Maybe you'd see a little bit on PBS. Now it's at demand, but at that time it was very exciting to just see anybody perform live. And that was always informative. And so I had uh, times when, you know, first it was Star Wars and then MTV came along. I wanted to play guitar and then play piano. And I had a a number of lessons throughout life. Uh, But the spark of music is always interesting. It it always goes back to your childhood. Somehow it always does. We're always kind of chasing that. Well, I mean, I was born in the same year as you. And for me, it's Star Wars. It was the first film I went to see at the cinema. And I remember standing behind the seats when Darth Vader was <laughs> just, you know, 
peaking. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, probably the first moment that I kind of reconciled that music and the image can be such a powerful force together. A force, sorry, mm -hmm. pardon the pun. Sure. Um, but yeah, and I, I think for a lot of TV and film composers, it's the same story. I hear it over and over again that, you know, it hit them like a ton of bricks when they were little. It was, yeah, it's a very exciting time because if you remember even going through the 80s, every month you'd hear a new composer that did something amazing like Jerry Goldsmith, Ennio Morricone, you know, uh, Alan Silvestri, Thomas Newman, you know, all that early Danny Elfman stuff. And just watching him grow from you know, Pee Wee Herman, Big Adventure to, to Batman, just in that four or five years is really interesting. So you're hearing, you know, a lot of vibrant music in the pop world. But then you go to the movie theater and you're hearing a good you know, hour, sometimes of classical music underscored throughout and to hear all that i mean i just feel very fortunate that i was born at that time to experience all these things where the narrative of music is just very big and fun yeah. there's a lot to learn so i guess you were quite influenced by the fact that your parents were musical mm -hmm. were there any other influences that were steering you towards you know picking up instruments and learning you know headbangers ball was a big you know, <laughs> when i was watching tv as a kid I was like, oh, I should play guitar. That looks good. Ah. I started with drums because I thought that would be easier. And I couldn't find a guitar player to, to jam with. I was like, well, maybe it can't be that hard. And I was right. Uh, <laughs> you know, with time and, you know, persistence, time and pressure, you can do anything. And I've learned many instruments that way and uh, some with lessons, some without. But uh, there was it was just the kind of the environment at the time. It was just very exciting. And then going to concerts, whether they be rock concerts or classical or jazz, just seeing live players, just living, breathing, uh, fun, and just watching the audience experience it. It's just, it's interesting because so much of music now is written on computers and things are very quantized and it's very compressed. And But it wasn't like that, you know, most music for a long time, you know, the dynamics of an orchestra is very quiet and very loud. And there's something about that, that I feel like we've kind of lost in today's music in today's world where it's it's always kind of like a compressed clamshell you know going over a hamburger <laughs> i just i i really appreciate what we saw in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s uh just kind of going and all of that was inspirational it's still fun to revisit absolutely and so you mentioned the drums you went to the guitar did you have lessons on the guitar um did you are you self-taught i definitely did, did the work? guitar lessons <laughs> uh, the honest answer is when I started piano lessons, because, you know, I started hearing Star Wars and hearing all these amazing things and you're hearing it in your head. And then you start piano playing hot cross buns or Mary had a little lamp. It was frustrating. I didn't like it. I hated my piano lessons. It took a while to get into it. And it was uh, the gateway for that was then the drums and guitar. And I definitely had lessons for each. But, you know, some teachers get you. Sometimes they don't. You know, so if you're introduced to the right thing. And you're in the right space and you're inspired. I mean, it's all about curiosity. You know, ABC, always be curious. Just keep going and going and going. And the more, I, you know, I hear something, you know, sometimes being self-taught can be advantageous. My technique is not perfect, but I sure enjoyed the process of getting there. And all the lessons I've had, I mean, you know, guitar, piano, drums, bass, uh, you know, and then composing and conducting and all those things. I've been very helpful, but it was a little rocky in the beginning because, you know, what you want to do isn't what you're technically able to do. And so it just took a while of being impatient. And then you yeah. know, I didn't have that patience. So sometimes <laughs> you just have to do it. Just do it. Yeah. Mistakes absolutely. and all. It's fine. Yeah. That's an interesting route then. So what, what kind of route did you take into composing? 
did you learn the theory and go through college and stuff like that? Or, or did you just furrow down and figure it out yourself? Because, I mean, both are equally as valid. They are. It's quite a personal journey to have, isn't it? Really? It is. It really is. Uh, the thing was, is when I started playing guitar, uh, some of my favorite guitar players were you know, Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Eddie Van Halen and Steve Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix. And to really understand what they're doing on guitar, whether it's rhythm or lead, you're going to have to learn a little bit of music theory. And uh, I remember there was another one, Randy Rhodes, he used to play with Ozzy. And after you learn your major and minor scale, there's all those modes in there. I spent a long time learning those modes and learning theory on guitar that eventually, uh, at the same time while I'm doing all this, I'm listening to soundtracks. I'm just starting to collect. I had like Dance with Wolves, Silence of the Lambs, of course, Star Wars. And I'm reading books while listening to that in the soundtrack, you know, in the background. And I'm really impressed with all the layers that are in that. And so the big gateway for me, I read an interview with Steve Vai, famous guitar player, who had, when he was a kid or somewhere in his youth, a four-track recorder. And he said, I'm just going to write a bunch of compositions on my guitar. So on that four-track recorder, I had a drum machine, a bass, and usually two guitars. You could bounce those tracks. Uh, you know, you take three tracks, record it into one. And then all the way, if you keep bouncing tracks, you can get up to seven tracks. So I made a deal with myself to write a piece of music every day in the summer of 92 and then never play for anybody. So I had the ability to, for it to be terrible and uh, just get through it. But that was the most educational experience I had where you just forced yourself to write. I mean, you know, composition is just like learning violin or any other trade or instrument. You just have to keep doing it and be willing to fail. And that's what I did. It was on guitar. And then uh, I started taking composition lessons formally. Right after that, uh, I wanted to know more. And I had I got like a Korg X2 and it had 16 tracks on that, which was huge in 92 <laughs> or 93. I think that now it's the year after. So yeah. 93, I got this huge thing and it's a workstation. And you're able to record all these things with MIDI. It was just a whole new world. And so through experimenting and then I mean, the lesson really is just your ears and looking at scores. I mean, you want to learn about Bach? You just listen to Bach and look at it and then study it and then hear the players. And then same thing with John Williams. You want to do it? Try to get it under your fingers. You know, a piano reduction, a good piano reduction, getting things under your fingers really, really helps. And then you go, oh, wow, he's moving a lot. He's doing this, this, and this. And then the way he wrote it for the strings, it's all separated. That's all fascinating stuff. So that was kind of the gateway of just being curious and just keep going after it, being willing to fail. And, uh, and then eventually you know, finding people who were willing to tolerate some mistakes. And then it's a collaboration. And then we're all making okay films to really good films and yeah it's a it's gradual yeah so i was going to ask what it was there a moment where in amongst all that you decided oh actually i want to do this for a living or did the opportunity come at you without you know you realizing how did that come about and what was it yeah i would have to say uh there was you know for a long time when i'm a kid you know you're like i'm gonna be a rock star that's what i want to do i'm gonna try to be eddie van halen or the next kirk hammett or whatever it is and uh, the music industry changed immensely uh, by the time Nirvana came in. I don't know. You remember the transitional thing oh, between yeah. one thing to the yeah. yeah. And I really music like, was maybe, back. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking, like, maybe I don't want to just play heavy metal guitar or rock guitar for the rest of my life. Maybe there's other things. And that's when I started to listen to, you know, I was already listening to soundtracks, but I was thinking about it more of how if I was to write for media, I could write in any style. The great thing about you know film scoring is anything you've learned in life, something a piece of music you heard when you were a kid, you could maybe use that. Something you heard in college, maybe you can use that. Something you heard 10 minutes ago, you can use that. I mean, we're always taking from the universe 
and then reinterpreting, you know, just like this conversation, we're just improvising now back and forth. So, you know, some of this could end up in a composition in its own way. You know, you, you could say something like, you should check out this artist, then I do, and then it's amazing. And then you're inspired by that, and it just goes and goes and goes. And so for me, the the big point, uh, I don't know if you remember a movie called Interview with a Vampire. It had uh, L.A. Goldenfall. It was a score by him. I heard that music, and before that, I thought, oh, maybe I could figure this out on my own. That was the score that made me go, I don't, I don't know what he's doing. And there's no sheet music for this. They're not releasing film scores on paper. Uh, you know, because he's got these things where there's horn rips in it, and then the, the horns are slowly bending and twisting, and then, and then he's doing all these extended techniques, not familiar with at all. But it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. I'm hearing magic in a different way that John Williams is bringing magic, and all these other composers are. So around '94, at the end of that, I was like, I should I should do you know music for medium for film, and I realized I could do it for film. That was the goal at the time, and then television, video games, commercials. It's an endless thing. And since I play all these different instruments, there'll be a home for everything. And that's been my experience. Any piece of music I've ever written, there's a home for it. Somebody needs it somewhere. And um, there's nothing wasted. So that was kind of the game changer for me. Around 94 with Elliot Goldenthal. And then that rabbit hole of these amazing composers that I would have written off prior. I'd be like, I don't know what I do with this. But then, you know, you know, same thing with the movie The Shining. You know, you hear all these in 2001. There's all these extended techniques from Zanakis and Penderecki. And you're like, how, how are they doing that? And you see the notation for it. And you're like, yeah, I was never going to guess that. <laughs> you know, it's like a, an arrow with every instrument playing the highest note for 30 seconds. And you're like, oh, they're improvising that. And that's, it's a different style altogether. So yes. all of that got my wheels turning. And I was like, this is super exciting. And at the end of 94, when I saw Interview with the Vampire and listened to that soundtrack a million times, I realized I want to do that kind of thing. And uh, it went from there. All the way through to Camp Hideout. <laughs> all the way to Camp Hideout. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful, Jason. I ask all of my guests to leave an item and a piece of advice in the music room for others to find. What advice would you like to leave in the music room for anyone who would like to hear some? I have a, a couple of things. Uh, the first one is just take big risks. You know, uh, bet on yourself. Get the education you want to get. If you think it costs too much, maybe you're worth it. You have this one life. You really should run towards it. My biggest regret every time, once I've achieved something, I was like, I could have gotten here earlier if I had just taken more risk. I could have done this. You know, it's like coming to Hollywood. I was 26 years old. I went to USC to do that. And I knew I was going to stay here. But even then, like, maybe I could have gotten here earlier. I could have done more. With, even with what I'm doing now, like I'm getting to talk to you and doing interviews. Maybe I should have hired a PR. You know, Impact 24 has been amazing. I should have probably called them 20 years ago. Uh, over and over again, I've had this experience of like, uh, this is great that I've succeeded, but I, I arrived with a certain amount of fear and I, I probably should have just leaned in more with that. So that's one piece of advice. The other one, uh, when I was at USC, Christopher Young, great teacher, great composer. Uh, he said something amazing that's stuck with me since then. He said, Hollywood is the land of dreams, but it's also the land of broken dreams. Uh, there are some people that do want to see you succeed. But many others uh, only go so far and they don't want to see you succeed. And you kind of have to be wary of that. Uh, that's it's a weird problem, you know, because you think, oh, everyone's rooting for me to succeed. Not so much. Uh, there are some people that only went so far and then they get bitter. You know, you see that with family members, you know, that kind of hold you back and go, you're not that good. I've known you since then. This is what you're capable of. Don't do that. Don't believe them. You write your own story. Go as far as you possibly can. Bet big on yourself and be wary of the people, you know. There are some people that are rooting for you and they are dreamers and they want to do this. 
And then there are those that they're only meant to go so far. They're going to plateau. And so that's kind of my advice is just bet big on yourself. Uh, stay away from the negativity. You know, take breaks. Channel what you did in your childhood. What did you, why, why are you here? Why are you doing this? Are you doing it because you love something? That's what's going to drive you over and over again. And, uh, you know, yeah. that, that's ultimately it. Yeah, I love that. I love the run towards it, you know, just <laughs> go full on. And I liked uh, earlier on you said ABC. Uh, always be curious. I think that's yeah. that's a great bit of advice as well. That's going in the music room for you. And how, do you have an item that you'd like to leave for others? For me, I, I would have to say, I mean, in time, if I went back, part of what nurtured me in every, anytime you get trying to navigate being a teenager and going through all that, I had a, a cassette Walkman, one of those Sony's, uh, you know, and I had a headset on all the time throughout high school, then into college. And just the constant listening to music and listening and just any device that delivers music to my head is huge uh, because I'm always listening to it. And if I'm, you know, cooking food for the kids, guess what? I'm going to listen to music. If I'm running an errand. I'm going to listen to some music. So I'd say, you know, a pair of headphones with now it's an iPhone, which is great because I can fit thousands of CDs on it. <laughs> I mean, if you drove in the car with me in the you know, early 2000s, you'd be like, it's messy in here. I'm like, yeah, just don't put your feet on all my CDs. Because you never know what you want to listen to back then. Now it doesn't matter. But yeah. that's definitely, that was a game changer for me, just having you know an iPod and now iTunes in general and just being able to channel anything. So any mood. So if I'm in the mood for you know Sinatra and I just want to get that in my headspace or if I want to hear some Thomas Newman or yeah. you know Pantera or Stravinsky, whatever it is, uh, it's a whole, I, that's it, probably it, my favorite thing. It's a whole music education in your ears, isn't it? Really? It is. You know, all the answers are in those recordings every yeah. time. And, uh, and there's still, you know, you listen to it today, but next year it's going to sound different and it's going to be more important. As we age, we, we grow with certain recordings. Mm. And uh, I'm so thankful for, you know, having, you know, again, being born when we were born to hearing all this music from the 70s, 80s and 90s as it happened, you know, in time. Because now when you look back, you're like, how do you listen to Jimi Hendrix? And you have to advise them uh, in the order it came. You know, how do you watch Star Wars? Please watch it in the order it came. Don't go rogue and play these things out of you know. <laughs> controversial, right? It's, it is controversial, but you know the way it was delivered to us. Please hear it that way. I don't hear yeah. a greatest hits. I don't believe in greatest hits recordings of any kind. You know, go back to the you know if you want to hear the Beatles, start in order. You know, if yeah. you can, yeah. Because and and that's ultimately it. So. You know, iTunes, iPod, headphones, go. I but mean, what, what worked it. for you was, did you say the Sony cassette Walkman? At that time, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. With the, with the foam earphones. Yeah, I used to have a paper route. And so I would have to go through sprinklers, you know, and all sorts of terrain on a bicycle uh, while throwing newspapers. Back in the day, that's how you got the news. It was on paper and we would deliver it. And so I had a cassette and it was waterproof. So it was there, you know, this big, bright yellow yeah. waterproof Sony Walkman uh, with these big, bright yellow, uh, you know, thin headphones. And, you know, every day for an hour and a half, I'm delivering newspapers, listening to various things, whether, you know, be Van Halen or be Beethoven, whatever it was, it was keeping me moving. And I still do that. I, I have not outgrown this process. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And if that worked for you, then the big yellow Sony waterproof Walkman goes into the music room because it would clearly uh, help someone else and probably nurtured your love of the album rather than just picking random tracks. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's another reason to put that in. 
Yeah, it's funny because uh, all the albums I listened to back then, I'll listen to it in order of this track listing that they had. I don't do that now. Now I'll get a recording. I'm like, uh, let's. I actually arrange things by tempo. I like things faster, and then it goes slower. Because whatever it is, I'm high energy. I'm like, we're it's a go. You know, it. Yeah. You know, like any Marconi, he's very interesting. Some of the most beautiful music he's written, but those are slower tempos. John Barry's like that, like Dance of the Wolves, and very slow, slow tempos. And you know, those are the ones I'll still listen to in order because it's programmed a certain way. But uh, you know, if it's a recent rock album and it doesn't matter, uh, and I feel bad about that. But if I'm listening to Metallica's Master of Puppets, oh, it'll be Battery, you know, and then Master of Puppets, straight on through all those songs. So That is going into the music room along with your advice. It has been a joy chatting with you, Jason. Uh, lovely to meet you. Thanks for joining me in the music room. You too. Thank you for having me. It's, it's an honor to meet you, and I look forward to hearing your music. Thanks for listening to the Music Room podcast today. If you'd like to know more about the show or the community that surrounds it, head to musicroom.community. The link is in the show notes.